everyone, and welcome to episode number 32 of Relating to DevSecOps, where we explore the development, security, and operational issues of today so that we can solve real-world problems with people that face them on the ground, in the wild, and in the field. I'm Ken Toller, and I'm joined again by Simon Dolo as we continue down the branch of Git. Last time in episode 31, we talked about uh, a few common concepts, branching, rebasing, merging, and some of the basics in Git. And today we are going to get into just a few weeds uh, so that we can expand on that and hopefully help engineers and security folks actually get security into Git. Uh, but firstly, thank you all for listening. Uh, again, as always, if you like what you're hearing, please like, subscribe, and rate, and send us feedback if you do or do not like what you're hearing so that we can talk about what you want to hear or even what you want to disagree with. So uh, today, you know, to kick off this second episode in this series, we're thinking about getting into how to leverage Git, uh, and that can be GitHub or Bitbucket or whatever your Git repository system is, uh, even if it's just a server somewhere uh, running it raw, um, just to use it to uh, enhance the security posture of your development. And we're talking about two things today, mostly, um, the analysis of code and security automation. And we wanna cover what are some, maybe not easy things to accomplish, but easy-ish, uh, so that you can get going in the DevSecOps world, uh, leveraging tools like Git, uh, GitHub repos, or whatever your favorite uh, Git repository thing is. So uh, we are talking about uh, primarily hooks and triggers and ways to use Git to your advantage for security. Um, and if that's something that you would like to listen to, then you are in for a hopefully uh, short and informative ride as we as we jump in. Uh, so Simon, welcome back, man. Uh, are you excited to get into Git? I am, no pun intended. And if there is someone out there who's running a standalone version control server that they're managing, we would love to hear from you and hear your struggles because that sounds amazing to me. Yeah. You know, I I wouldn't put it past uh, the community, especially since um, so many services are going cloud only. So I'd be interested mm -hmm. to see if people are looking at uh, doing that or getting into that. I'm sure it's a pain in the butt. But um, but yeah, uh, even if you're using that, some of this stuff will still apply to you. Absolutely. So um, Simon, you and I had talked about like, what is a trigger and how do we start with this? And, um, you know, like I said, we're breaking this down into analysis of code and security automation. But I think that the, the best thing that we can do is just describe what we mean by a trigger or a hook. Um, do you want to take that or I can take that? I, I'd be happy to take that and let me know if it, if it vibes with you. If I'm totally off base, please let me know. But yeah, get hook or get trigger or whatever you want to call it um, is essentially something that fires off when an event happens in your Git ecosystem. Um, so, you know, whether you've committed a line of code, or you've created a branch, you've uh, executed a merge, you've added a comment, 
um, it's essentially a script that performs something for you that you want to run in the background while your code exists in a branch or somewhere uh, in Git. And so, you know, some great examples of that are running unit tests, uh, executing test coverage, running some sort of uh, security suite, double checking that your check style standards are in place, all of these things. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's made to, one, make your life easier, lets you, you know, forget about those steps if you maybe didn't think about it. Obviously, you should be building locally, but, you know, so everybody misses things. Sometimes there might be a test case that you missed, uh, your coverage might lower than usual, um, and just a plethora of other examples. But it helps you um, just keep those things running in the background. That way you can have an automa automated way of doing that and not have to worry about doing it manually. How did I do, Ken? No, you, you, you definitely <laughs> covered it. I mean, I think that one of the really interesting things about uh, hooks, and I think what uh, probably turns people off from them is they just don't know what to write and uh, are a bit confused around the types of hooks. So um, I think for uh, the intent of this particular podcast, we want to just note that there are two types of hooks that you can leverage. Some are client side, which means that they run on the engineer's computer, right? So they are going before the commit or after the commit or before they push to the server. And the others are uh, server side. So they can be hooks that happen once the server has received uh, the commit um, and before it's uh, published or after it's uh, been received and they can sort of trigger events off of that. Uh, so I don't think we're going to be getting into when to use these or not, but we might talk about some of the advantages or disadvantages of using one of those two uh, types. But for intents of this, just remember there are client side and server side. Um, and so I guess the question to you, Simon, is, you know, what what do you find yourself using the most? And I guess what use cases do you have? You mentioned some unit tests and things like that. So I'm kind of interested to understand uh, when you decide to use something like that versus it like a a more robust framework or like what when are you using these? How are they how are they implemented? When is it part of your ecosystem versus anything else? Yeah, I, I think I'm always going to uh, when push comes to shove rely on that kind of overarching framework that's going to be doing everything that I need to out of the box. But for me, whenever I think of when a Git hook is appropriate, um, I think I think of the, you know, the readmes and documentation that you write for the software that you write. And what I mean by that is once you've kind of set in stone a certain tradition or standard um, or policy that you want to be always executed at a certain time out of the box, that screams get hooked to me. Um, I've done it enough times where I'm annoyed by it. I don't want to run it manual anymore. It just needs to happen and I want to set it and forget it. Once it's documented and we make that, you know, set in place, I think that's when it's time to kind of be a little bit more sure about your practices and turn it into a Git hook. So again, unit test coverage, I think is a good one. You've got a brand new app. Typically, you're probably going to have like limited use cases. You're going to start adding more tests as things get more and more complicated. Then you realize that, oh, maybe I forgot to run tests this round. Make it automatic. Same thing with test cover. Make it automatic. Um, you know, and then looking on the client side of things, uh, you know, you're looking at maybe branch permissions, stuff like that. You know, maybe you shouldn't be pushing to main directly. Maybe you should that be, you know, that should be merged only by a pull request or like by Git directly. Um, so it's more just once your policy becomes an understood, uh, approved, uh, let's say tradition, I think it's a really good time to consider turning that into a Git hook. 
Got it. Yeah, you know, and on our side of things, I think one of the most common security scenarios you're going to see are um, looking for any secrets, AWS credentials, passwords, things like that. Um, and one of the things that I was just mentioning that I think is important to understand is that when you are um, thinking about a hook, just realize that when you um, save hooks, they're stored in the Git hooks directory as part of the local repository. Um, and they will not, as far as I know, you can tell me if I'm uh, mistaken here, but they're not pushed to the remote repository. So you should be able to write your hooks and anything that you want to look for, even if you know maybe you're weak in a particular area or as a security engineer, um, maybe you just want to make sure that some other things are going on. Uh, if you're making any remediations or if you're um, you know, making any changes to something that you know is a security configuration or something like that, you can write these hooks for yourself. Now, when they are local, they are client side. One of the one of the hard things that you have is, you know, how do I how do I get these out to everybody, and how do I make this a um, something that all of my engineers can use because it's not sort of the repository like everything else. That becomes a challenge for you with client side hooks. So the use cases for that can be something that is either more personal to you, um, or if you're just trying to get things off the ground and you wanna share it with a few people and figure out how it works, or if you know there's a particular team that um, struggles in a certain area, those are opportunities to write those types of hooks. And then on the server side, that's when you are looking, you know, those pre-receive or post-receive hooks, that's when you want to maybe start implementing something that's a bit more global. And uh, that's when those use cases will will differ. Uh, and I think that's a, an important distinction in hooks as, in hooks as well. Um, have you actually seen any security practitioners do anything else in your world that beyond security, secret management, because uh, I feel like that's probably the most common article I read, right. uh, especially since there's so many vendors out there doing that kind of work. Yeah, I've seen a, I've seen a few, and I think that's where it gets a little bit more complicated. I think the cases we're talking about are typically um, pretty efficient. They're pretty fast. So whenever you, you add these hooks to your, your, your workflow, it's not really a big deal. But the ones that I've seen that have been harder to, I guess, manage are whenever you have like really extensive like code scan libraries or um, like stuff like Sonatype where you add that as a Git hook and then all of a sudden your build is taking like half an hour. And obviously that's going to piss off some engineers. You know, you don't want that running every single time. So I think that's when you have to realize like how often do you want to run this? Obviously it has value, but you have like that's something that you can't have every push and you can't have every every single branch, every commit. Um, and and obviously, you know, same thing goes with stuff like test coverage. That's going to take a while. You have to realize what what works for you um, and what works one as a, as a global sense. And I, I love that you mentioned the idea of like more individualized uh, kind of Git hooks that you have personal. I think those can get scary really fast because once you have your own like personalized hooks, if you don't know how to share those safely i think you're you can kind of get into a situation where your build your build phase turns into one of those bibles that only you know and you have to you have to run these like 20 special steps in this order and then you know toss a dove out the window and hope that everything builds and you're the only one who knows it so i think you have to be really careful when it comes to um getting creative with your good hooks yeah no i'm yeah i mean if you i think that there is a 
you know, I think that especially GitHub, right? And this is why I, there's the triggers and the hooks and the the misnomers there, uh, because uh, GitHub expands on this concept right through the the idea of these webhook events, like. Uh, you can trigger these things on pull requests and forks and comments and right. all these different, you can generate all these different workflows if you're working in GitHub. I am not as familiar with that uh, as, as you may be. So interested in your, um, in your insights there in terms of security things that are being done in those, in those worlds. I imagine, uh, especially like in pull requests or things like that, you can trigger a scan or do something like that. Um, but uh, let's. Let, I want to get into that for sure. Uh, if you have um, sort of common, I guess, webhook events from GitHub that are being used to trigger these events and what people are writing in that. Um, but on the sort of, I guess we'll call it the rudimentary sort of raw Git side for that one person that's running that server, uh, you know, somewhere <laughs> for that pre-commit hook, I mean... Um, you don't want to get too fancy with it, but you can leverage things that are in like your command line. So if you are using SEMgrep like we were talking about before, uh, you can always you know run your SEMgrep scans or um, which I think is like super powerful. Except SEMgrep is very uh, I'm gonna say linear, but it's probably not the right word. You know, <laughs> it's, it's like looking at a file. Uh, it's not doing any of this backtracing and, and stuff. Um, and so for those, uh, it might be beneficial to just run that for yourself. Uh, if you have any rules that are being written or rules that are written, I mean, that, uh, will help you. Um, and that's a, that's a good one, but, but yeah, let's, let's flip the conversation and go into like uh, GitHub workflows and triggers. What are you seeing? What are your, what are like the events you're most familiar with? Events I am most familiar with. Um, again, yeah, I'll yeah, go like back to events. I've events like, um, you know, like, like, uh, what I was talking about, like they have pull requests or you know, I literally just have the documentation pulled up. So I'm throwing <laughs> this at you live. Nice. Uh, but like, I'm looking at this, you know, you've got these webhook events around, uh, check, run, create, delete, deployment, pull requests. Like, it seems like this pretty powerful. Um, is that something that you've worked with, uh, at all or. Yeah, I think so. There's some of those, uh, words like creation i don't know what you mean specifically in terms of what you're trying to create but i'm I'm definitely familiar with some of those those rule sets um i mean like some some of my favorites that git provides again I'll, I'll go back to branch management i i love that it it will block you on certain branch creation permissions branch deletion permissions merging permissions um again that aligns with what your org wants to do um yeah, test coverage, uh, commenting. I'm a firm advocate that you know if you have new comments on a pull request, I think approvals should get reverted. That's like that's new information that should be or and to add to that, if a new commit comes into your branch, I think uh, approvals should get reverted as well. I think those are super crucial. Um, yeah, what else is there? Some other really good stuff that can, I can't grab on top of my head, but I'm curious what this this creation. This I mean, I think it's just things. like on creation of a branch or. Oh, it is a branch. A, okay. Yeah. So like, um, yeah, I guess I could look for particular instances there, maybe naming convention or something. I'm not sure, but I, I would love to see how the pull request stuff is used. Um, because for me, that's, that's huge. Uh, being able to run something off of a pull request or even blocking something off of a pull request um would be would be super interesting to me I, and I, because i think that these the the hook stuff 
I mean, the pre-commit hook is where we all latch on really early. Uh, and so it can help us from preventing to push secrets, uh, which is like, like I said, the most common use case, but, or it can run these, these SAS scans, but it's really only informing the, the developer, which I think is great because it, it lends to the whole shift left thing. Um, and it puts the responsibility on the developer, the engineer to recognize mistakes that they may be making that have been identified as a pattern and then um, preventing that from even ever getting to the server so the server doesn't have to deal with it. So I love that. Um, the struggles that I have with that approach is um, dissemination of that information, making sure that everyone is doing that all the time. You know, that's like nearly impossible in a large organization, probably a lot easier in like a smaller team where folks are, you know, around the table, like, oh, you didn't run your thing, man, you know? Uh, right. we, we caught it in post kind of thing, uh, is probably a lot easier, but when you have teams and teams and teams of hundreds, sometimes even thousands of developers, how do you disseminate that? Especially in remote times, COVID times, you know, how do we do that? Yeah. How do you communicate? Yeah. And again, I, I love the fact that we do have pre-commit hooks, but like you said, like, I don't know if that information or that blocking necessarily comes back to someone like you and you can see how often these sort of mistakes are made. And, and I sometimes worry you know say you're using like a regex for secrets or something and maybe it wasn't written quite right and you know you're missing a lot more uh you know committed secrets and stuff than you you would have previously known and, and really the people who are using that git repo are going to notice but uh sometimes afraid it falls to blind eyes yeah for me like the way that it's been super valuable and i don't know if this rings true with any other security folks out there is that <laughs> Zero. like yeah. Um, is when I'm, when I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know what, this development team has this particular issue. I'm going to write this script and I'm just going to, I'm going to be like, Hey, check out this cool thing that I have. And like it, it, I use it as almost like an icebreaker of in the same way that, you know, you would demonstrate an exploit or whatever is use this next time. Like this will cover you for 90% of what I'm looking for. Um, this will, you know, cut some of that stuff. I keep coming back to you. I don't want to keep annoying you guys and stopping your work day. And then, you know, sending the whole build back to you and all that kind of stuff. Just run this. Um, you know, I, I find it really valuable in that sense. It, it, it shows that like you're willing to put in some work and some effort to develop this stuff for engineers, make their lives easier. Um, it does make their lives easier, uh, even though it's like another thing, if they don't run it, it's sort of like a, look, man, I, I'm trying to help you out. <laughs> right. And, and you right. still didn't run this thing. Uh, so it's, it's, it helps there, but it's definitely for me, not scalable, um, uh, running it locally like that. So it's, it's, I'm always looking for ways to kick these things off, um, on the tail end. And I usually end up working in something like Jenkins or, um, you know, some other part of the CI CD as opposed to trying to work and get, I don't know, maybe that's just how organizations have looked at it, uh, that I've worked with is sort of implementing these things in Jenkins because you've got all these workflows and stuff you can work through. And I just haven't really had the opportunity to not use Jenkins, <laughs> right. Uh, or not use something that is similar uh, where these things are run as part of the pipeline um, and and are in something like GitHub. So that's that that's a really funny point that you just made, and I I guarantee you're not the only one in security. Is not the only one. Um, I think I think the beauty of Jenkins is that you get to 
I mean, really, all the Jenkins does is, is run some sort of thing that it wants you to run. And, and what's great is you can be in complete isolation from other people's builds. So if you're running, you know, your regexes and they're all failing and you're spotting things like no one else is going to see those unless they're paying attention to it, which I think that's what makes it at least attractive from an entry point. Um, and I've seen this with QA engineers. I've seen this with DevOps folks who are trying to test something out. And the problem is I feel like that always hits engineering too late. Um, you know, I've, I've spoken with some some QA automation engineers. They they built this miraculous test suite and, you know, hey, like I found these 200 test cases are failing and that kind of gets dumped on engineering. You're like, well, OK, like this, like, can we push this into our like pipeline so we can slowly work on it? Uh, like, how does this work? And then you know, at that point, it's just so hard to combine it. So I don't know. To me, that just brings me back to like one of the comments we had on an earlier episode is just. If you're looking into entering a new standard and project into to the, the world of product engineering, how do you how do you fit into the, the the workflow first? Like see where you can become part of that cycle. That way you're not trying to mash two different workflows together. Um, again, Jenkins is great, but it's it's harder to 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 share that, I think, between um these three organizations. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. I think the way that I look at, and maybe this is, uh, I don't know how um, popular this opinion is going to be, but Excellent. the way that I look at the way that I look <laughs> at security is um, what we do a lot, and we've talked about this before, is we sort of have this whole hog mentality of dropping a tool in place, which is what you're sort of talking about. You're putting this, it's like tons of results, or you have a bunch of test cases that are failing, and I really like. Um, having information. Uh, I've had a lot of discussions and debates about whether you should sort of turn all the faucets on so that you don't miss anything or whether you should right. be more deliberate in what you're turning on so that the things that you are uh, catching or turning on are 100% accurate or as close as you can be to it. And I see both sides of this argument. And I do think that you should have all of the faucets running, but those should not necessarily be completely transparent to the receivers of that information because it can be overwhelming. And so I think that you need to limit like what you are introducing from a security perspective into engineering lives, even if you are accepting all that information on the tail end. Because in security, we're used to like dropping a SAS tool in, seeing thousands of false positives, weeding through them for three months, and Filtering then saying, the noise, okay, yep. here's, here's, the, here's the noiseless stuff for your day job. The difference is that is our day job. So it's like, you know, that is what we are there to do. We uh, triggered that. We put pulled that work onto ourselves. And if you're looking at it from the engineering perspective, that's work that we're putting on them. So anytime I'm putting work onto someone, I want to make sure that that doesn't interfere with their day job. Uh, or if it does interfere with their day job, that it is critically important. And so I think that what these hooks allow us to do is introduce sort of small elements of this information earlier in the process that we know are going to be 100% accurate or close to it. Uh, so it's not something that we can just say, hey, go use this hook. It detects like thousands of vulnerabilities every time you run it. Like that's not the way that you should look at it. It should be, um, you've tested this and say, hey, you know, can you try this thing? Because I want to make sure that we don't allow this production secret to go through. So if you see this username somewhere, it's probably indicative of a potential problem where the password is included. Or leveraging a tool uh, that does this for you in a pre-commit hook and 
does it securely or whatever. Um, so I think that where we should be getting to is like that, um, yes, introduce it more and more to the left side of the development lifecycle, but anything that you put before a commit or before a push should be accurate AF, you know? <laughs> um, and I, I really hope that, you know, we, we look at that and then anything on the tail end that we're analyzing and stuff, um, you know, we should be able to sort of triage first. And I think that if you put any of that stuff, like that messy process in front of the, uh, of that, then the security becomes the blocker. And what we are ultimately trying to do is remove security as a blocker, but maintain that security. And so it's, it's like a, it's a dance. Right. And, um, and I think hooks are like a really good way to take something that you know is accurate, pull it out of the right side of the life cycle and just and drop it in uh, further left. And when we talk about shifting left, it's not taking everything we have in the right and then like pushing it further and further down the development pipeline so we don't have to deal with it. It's taking things that we are seeing repeatedly as patterns, moving it left so that we prevent that from ever getting to it so that we can focus on the stuff that we don't know how to catch yet or um, that we can analyze and assign criticality to and all that. So I, I really think accuracy is important. And so this whole start small and like scratch the surface a little bit and, and, you know, test it on your own, you know, that all like feeds into that narrative, I guess. I don't know. I rambled a bit, but that's typical of this podcast. So that's how we do. No, that, that makes that I totally agree with that. I think it's so much easier to piecemeal it. I just, I don't know. I don't know why you're, you're not like, I'm just, thinking an analogy in my head of like lemmings going across and you've got to like pick the right tools you want to focus on first and like might lose a few and that's okay <laughs> yeah i mean you just don't want to you don't want to lose like the big one yeah right? yeah i think that there's always this balance of um you know we uh, there's there is always a balance to uh delivery and 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 function and being able to prioritize security issues and I sort of have this feeling that like, you know, if you're able to start an organization where security is the first class citizen from the beginning and that's you're amazing. always solving security issues, that's like, that's amazing, right? But that's not, I think, the reality for most folks. So we have to pick away at that. And I think where security gets lost sometimes is um, we try to do too much at one time with a low staff number. And so it's like, you know, you're going to become the blocker and eventually you're going to get frustrated. Engineers are going to get frustrated. People are going to quit. There's not going to be a good relationship. And that just all feeds into this whole, it just feeds into not success. <laughs> right? Man, that went dark so fast. <laughs> well, I don't want to say failure, right? But it's it's not, but not uh, as successful as you, yeah, not succeeding, right? You just, you're not really, um, you know, you're not efficient because that, uh, just like, just how we talk about, um, you know, the, the adoption being a factor of the success of the tool. So it's like exactly. your relationship with engineers are a paramount thing when it comes to success of these controls. So if you put in time, I think you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but in my experience, one thing's that one thing I think that I've always found is that uh, engineering teams appreciate time that you take to do things that you may not be great at, but like it shows that you're trying, right? And if you write a Git hook um, yourself 
even if it is crap and you say, hey, look, I've written this Git hook. It works for me. I just, I'm trying to, you know, work with you guys to help your life <laughs> with me. Uh, then it, they'll be like, oh man, your code is shit, but they will help Keep you. trying. Yeah, but like it's a collaborative relationship. Yeah, I I, I I can't speak for every, every engineer, but I I totally support that. Like, it, it's like speaking to like someone who's trying to speak in not their native tongue, and like you know, like they're trying really hard. It's like this is awesome. Like, it's it's risky, it's embarrassing, it's sometimes like really nerve wracking to learn a new language. But like, I don't know, for me, I'm always willing to work with that person. You know, I think that's great. Right. Exactly. And then on the tail end, I mean, you got to think of how that looks from security side. Imagine an engineer came to you and was like, hey, look, I don't really 100% get this whole cross-site scripting thing, but I think it works this way and I tried to detect it in this fashion or something. You'd be like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> you know, you'd be like, yes. You know, you'd be so celebratory in that. And I think that that goes two ways. We just sort of get all wrapped up in our own stuff. It's like, just help each other out. And I think the, like, I love the, I love the concept of these, not only for their functionality, but because it, sort of leans application security and uh, product security and engineers like it pushes them to sort of work together it mixes those boundaries yeah yeah and i know that like i've i've noticed especially that uh like security engineers application security engineers in the industry are becoming more and more proficient uh developers um it's just it's sort of a natural occurrence as we go to infrastructure as code and as we sort of work through this and so i i do think that we're naturally all sort of learning some element of uh, coding or programming, whether they're network or infra or infosec or whatever. You have Everyone's to. Everyone's sort of pulling this stuff in. Um, but, you know, there, there is still a gap when that is your profession to like produce products and it's your profession to analyze those products. There's going to be some gap. Uh, maybe not for everybody. There's rock stars out there. I'm not talking to y'all, talking to like the average folks like me. <laughs> uh so um yeah anyway uh we, we we got off track a bit on the hooks and into the soft relationship stuff but that is ultimately what it's about i think uh if you've listened to episode one you will know uh and so i guess we can end it on a soft note but uh, just to just to, <laughs> so sweet. i mean i well i want to get into just a little bit of the what we can do uh, if you have no development chops, you're a security engineer, maybe you're running a program, you want to try and do this kind of stuff, what can we do? We'll hit on that in a second. But just to wrap this up, so we talked about uh, uh, sort of client-side hooks. Uh, we've talked about server-side hooks, what you can do in there, secrets analysis, secrets management, uh, running sort of what I'll call um, fast SaaS like SEMgrep or something like that uh, on the pre-commit. Uh, it's local and that you can sort of work with that or you can do it on the server side and uh, cover that more globally. And then if you are really wanting to get into that world and you're using GitHub, the the events and triggers that we didn't talk to very well are, are there. Maybe we'll dig into that in another episode with somebody that either uh, knows GitHub better <laughs> or has done that <laughs> stuff uh, more frequently. But, but yeah, one of the things I want to cover is, Simon, like, when I talk about uh, committing to a Git repo, we normally think about code, but I also talk about readmes and guidelines and making sure that there's information there about how to code securely. 
an honest opinion here. Do you find that valuable as a, an engineer, developer, whatever, if you're looking at uh, a new repo, do you read the documentation? And uh, is it helpful to you? And is there anything that's like you that turns you off of security documentation or even documentation in general uh, where you are like, nah, I'm not doing that. That's that's all the time we have, folks. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I love it. Love it, love it, love it when people have documentation in their code. Um, one, because it helps me know where to start. If your documentation is well-written, it's literally in the code and I can jump to some links, so that's great. The other thing that I really love is you can version control your documentation. So that once that someone says that your stuff is wrong, you can literally say what version you're on and why they're wrong. And that makes me so happy. Um, yeah, so that's really good. On the topic of security documentation specifically, um, I don't think that I have anything that specifically, let's say, turns me off. But the in terms of the docs that I have read, I think the structure can sometimes be a little bit confusing to me. Like when I'm looking up like a code repo, I'm like, what does this do? What's the startup script? What packages do I need to download like via brew or whatever? Um, and like, here's some troubleshooting stuff. And like, I feel like the, and maybe I'm, I'm just reading the wrong docs, but the docs I've written is always like, here's this super, super complicated, like security policy that we've decided to leverage in this tool in this library. And here's this link on like where it was approved. And like, I get why that matters, but like from a documentation standpoint as an engineer, I'm immediately like, okay, like scroll, scroll, scroll. Like, where am I going? And, and trying to figure out, like, basically figure everything out on my on my own. Um, but otherwise, I love I love documentation. <laughs> Good, glad to hear it. Because my next comment is to all of the security folks out there: when you are coming into a new project and you are assigned to analyze it, and you are having trouble standing it up, and you figure it out, update. The yes. documentation. Update the docs. <laughs> I think that that is like the biggest thing. We spend so much time complaining about how we can't run an app. And then <laughs> we do nothing to help everyone down the road. But just, it, it works like, on my those, machine. Those developers should update the <laughs> readme. It's like, you update the readme. You know? <laughs> you just figured it out. You know, eat your own dog food. So that that's, makes, that's that makes me so happy. Um, update, you know, you as a security engineer, if you have access to the repo and you find something wrong, fix it, right? I mean, that is, that is, if you have engineers that are not willing to let you fix it, I mean, that's going to be on them later, right? Um, so, and again, back to that whole collaborative thing, if you do update it and you submit a PR, and the engineer looks at it and they review it and approve it. I think that they'll appreciate that or some will appreciate that. I think that's going uh, above and beyond in my opinion. Like, I think I wish everyone did that because that, that I'm always like, this person's awesome. I, well, I think that, that. that I think that we are. I think that um, I think security folks are, are and I don't speak for everyone, but I know that, it, you know, in the past, I've been scared to do that because you're like, oh, you know, maybe I'm not doing it right or, uh, you know, I have a different setup or I'm not like involved in their world or whatever. But you can just add, you know, it doesn't have to be like a complete rewrite. Just, you know, I ran into this um, in my scenario, you know, put your environment stuff in there, whatever it might be to run this locally, yep. do this or, you know, update that. Or even if you wanted to add a security page, right? Like if you're a security engineer looking at this, this is how you update you know go down that path but update the docs man yeah and, um, when, and the worst case scenario is you're just challenging something 
and just like hey double checking this is okay and maybe like maybe the the new command you're adding is a horrible idea it causes some weird sidetracks so like cool we should add that to the doc to not do those things as well so i love it you can't go wrong yep just don't be yeah don't be uh too nervous about uh submitting stuff because that's that's like the power of the tool right that's number one and the other thing is uh liking documentation uh security folks if you have like ways to uh apply security controls libraries whatever um that are standard in a particular repo write those down drop them in the readme or drop them in a security file or drop them in something that's like this is how you do this in this app uh, and that will help engineers later so you can point to it um i think that i don't know man i, I feel like there's a whole another conversation we'll wrap it up i know we're way over 30 minutes but I do want to maybe get into later or another episode on where documentation should exist because I uh, have differing opinions on whether documentation is enough in Git or in the repository and whether there should be some maintenance outside of Confluence because I see, oh, I say Confluence because I like have lived in Atlassian for all of these years. Who hasn't? Um, yeah, somebody, I mean, if you haven't touched the products, then, you know, uh, great for you. <laughs> uh, but um, but like if you have like a wiki or something, I find like updating that documentation becomes less and less frequent and like keeping track of it and all that. So like where should they exist? So I would love to maybe, um, that's a future episode, just where do we document stuff and what's the best place to get there or what's the best way to do that and how do we get there um, is like a whole other thing we are way over at this point so we won't we won't dig into that now but uh stay tuned uh, maybe that will be coming later um so that's it for this episode um we covered hooks and relationships and uh how to work together and how to sort of again forge those ironclad relationships between engineering and security uh, Simon, any final words on either how to do that or on hooks in general? I mean, we missed a discussion on hookups, which is, I think, a missed opportunity. But, you know, I'll yeah. take it. <laughs> well, you know, remote hookups with the Git remote. There it is. Yeah. Okay. Episode 33 gonna... coming yeah. up. All right. Yeah, that, that might be the title. Um, <laughs> I do not have anything nearly as profound but um, <laughs> I do want to <laughs> thank everyone for uh, listening to us ramble and talk. Hopefully this has been helpful to you. Uh, if not, absolutely let us know and we will avoid it in the future. Uh, but uh, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please like, subscribe, uh, give us a shout. Let us know what you want to hear about. Uh, and we will continue this, uh, this Git um, episode series for maybe like one or two more. And then maybe we'll move on to something else like documentation. But until then, thank you again, and we'll see you next time.